Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to Revolution. Glad you're here. Glad to be here myself. Um, I got mugged Tuesday night, and that was pretty crazy. I was walking home and down Lindale, and all I remember thinking was, man, this street's really, this sidewalk, part of the sidewalk's really dark. And uh, three guys were walking towards me, and I grabbed my wallet, and I have a wallet chain, so that's probably why he saw it, <laughs> and broke the chain and ran off, and my instincts just kicked in rather than my wisdom. So I chased him, fell, got hurt myself worse falling, and then I got back up, continued running, caught him, and said, but I've done so much nonviolence training with Soul Force, so I'm so glad I did that. But um, I was like, listen, I said, I don't want to fight. I said, I don't want to do this. I, just, I said, I just want my ID back, keep the wallet. I didn't have any cash in it and had cards that I knew I could cancel. So, um, And then I noticed he was trying to get me to come further back into the alley, and then I noticed the other guys in the alley. So I was like, nope. I said, just give me my ID. I don't want to fight. And he goes, well, I do. And then he started just punching me. And uh, I guess when he realized I wasn't going down, he just took off and ran and uh, called the police. The police came, filed a report, and found my wallet in the, in the alleyway. But, yeah, it was... No, my ID was gone. Cards were gone. Did find a, my gift certificate to for fifty dollars to to electric fetus. So that was nice. They didn't. Yeah. So the wallet was worth more than that, and the you know. So they didn't get anything. I mean, they got my insurance card, and my, which is a bummer, and I have to get a new one of those, and my membership to the Children's Museum, which is a bummer. Um, and I had to go, get it, go to the DMV, but... What? Did they connect with my dad? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and so I just canceled it, and so they didn't put any... They got the Revolution credit church card and my debit card, but they didn't put any money on it by the time I canceled it, so, oh well, poor, poor dudes, ended up with nothing, um, yeah, that was fun, um, but I survived, and next time I will not chase anyone, because they could have had a knife or a gun, and that could have ended up very differently, so. I thought about that and was like, nope, I'm a dad. I can't be chasing robbers down the street. Um, so today our guest speaker will be Peter Rollins, but he will not be here in person. I'm just going to be using his the gospel of Rollins, the divine magician today. Um, but we're going to talk about Paul and... So 
I had to, wanted to pick a real quick story about Paul and what better book than Galatians <laughs> to talk about Paul. Um, so, um, Paul the Apostle. So Paul, in the book of Galatians, explains a little bit about who he is. And in Galatians 1.13, he goes, You have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. Um, and he's talking about Christianity as he was trying to destroy Christianity. And when he says violently, he's being very honest. He was very violent, and um, he, uh, when Stephen was the first Christian martyr that we know of, was stoned to death, Paul held people's cloaks or coats or whatever they had while they stoned him. And so Paul was a violent persecutor. Um, he was called Saul, um, but I've been told that it was actually just a translation, that he, was, that he actually never actually did change his name, that Saul and Paul are the same. And so, but we've made it act as though he's changed his name. Even Pete thinks he changed his name. But a theologian friend of mine reached out to me and said there was no name change. Oh, well. Um, always good to have theologian friends read your tweeting. Um, because, you know, you've heard how violently I persecuted the church. He goes, I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people the same age, for I was far more zealous for the tradition of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal God's Son to me so that I might proclaim God amongst the Gentiles. I did not confer with any human beings, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Um, And he goes into some stuff, but then basically he says, the only uh, people had only heard and said, the one who formerly persecuted us now proclaims the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So this is the story of Paul becoming Saul, and um, and he has this conversion experience. Um, now Pete, in his book, The Divine Magician, Peter Rollins, in his book, The Divine Magician, writes about this, and I really like what Pete wrote um, me and Pete usually spend most of our time giving each other a hard time, so it's always difficult for me to glorify him. <laughs> but the guy's got good, good. Uh, he's a Paul, he's Paulinian. I mean, he's a philosopher, but he's also a theologian, whether he likes it or not. And uh, he's Paulinian, a theologian, which is pretty good. I I like that. So I'm going to read some of what he wrote. He goes, It's on the road to Damascus we see the insight taking place in the life of Saul. In a brief moment, 
he realizes that the group he's persecuting is not what stands in the way of his salvation, but is the very path to salvation. Pretty cool, right? And often when I talk about loving your enemies, I, I try to use Paul as an example, you know. Um, here he was, an enemy who had came to the light in his way, had a realization, repented, changed his mind, saw the errors of his ways, and then took the faith and made it even more inclusive. And so often I think we forget that that's what loving your enemies can do. It can actually radically change things, you know. Um, So there's hope in that. Um, I'm going to read this like I would read the Bible, uh, Pete's, Pete's writing today. On the way to Damascus, he directly confronted, he's, he is directly confronted with his own violence, devoid of any sacri- sacred justification. He experiences the persecuted community as a prophetic voice addressed to him, and he is, heeds the message. In an act of profound grace, the traumatized Saul is welcomed and cared for by the very people he has been seeking to destroy. Now think about that. You know, he's restored by people he was killing. And you see this in, in other people's lives, like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and um, um, Nelson Mandela, um, different people who've done this, where they've embraced their enemies and caused radical change. And I'm a believer in nonviolence. Um, I believe in loving your neighbor, and I do believe our neighbors can be our enemies. And I do believe that love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. And I've taken a lot of flack for that lately. It's really funny um, to me because, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here at all because it's really just been uncomfortable more than anything. Um, But talking about, as we did a couple weeks ago, about the injustice of these children at the border and how they're being really abused and probably scarred for the rest of their life mentally, um, how we can maybe see this as something to bring us together rather than divide us as a nation. And... uh, I've had both conservatives and liberals come after me about it. And uh, the other day, I saw a uh, someone had posted just a name of an article that they had written. And uh, I feel bad because I didn't read the article. Um, <laughs> but I, he, the, but he was saying why you can't be a follower of Christ. And follow, and a follow, you know, and a supporter of Trump. And I just said, how is this different than what the conservatives are saying? I mean, what they've said about 
us in the past. And I was just recalled when I was a teenager. Now, some some liberals pointed out why I was why they disagreed with me, and so that was, you know, and it's really weird because I've always kind of considered myself a liberal, and I mean, I've been a Democrat since I was worked on on uh, Bill Clinton's campaign when I was 16. And I was working at a Christian television station. But I remember working at this Christian television station and hearing the people doing the interviews and stuff saying, Bill Clinton is the Antichrist. And no one who's Christian can be a follower of Bill Clinton or can be Democrat. You know, you can't be a Christian and a Democrat. And and I remember just sitting there going, just like, angry as all can be as this is like angry 16 year old already and going like what are they saying this is crazy you know and feeling how it kind of put up a wall between me and them and i just kind of zoned zoned it out i just listened to the director and didn't really listen to those people anymore and thought this is just fanatical these are just fanatics you know and um and I, so I just felt like we were returning the favor a little bit. You know, like we kind of do this, we kind of become what we hate in so many ways, and we have to be careful of that because it's, it's, it's easy to scapegoat others. And so I just had this long conversation, and the guy asked me to go on further, and, and then I had to go like, oh, I didn't read your article. I'm sorry. I just read the read the opening. But then I went back and said, you know, if I have this reaction to just the title of the article, because the article was on a, on a website of a group that I was very close to and used to be a part of. And uh, I said, how do you think a Trump supporter is going to react to this? You know, they're not going to read the article. Um, and even recently, one of my favorite people who talk about mental health has gone on some things about supporters of Donald Trump and things like that and gone on rants. And and I saw people saying like, I threw your book away. I don't want anything to do with you and blah, blah, blah. And and, uh, part of me thought like, man, you know, one, it's ridiculous how these people are reacting because of who you support, but it's also you're putting something out there that's also building a wall for your work. You know, so... And your work is important because you're helping people who struggle with mental illness. And people who are mentally ill are, guess what, conservative and liberal. So, anyway. And I don't think, and, you know, someone's like, well, Jesus talked firmly in to the, to the, uh, yes, to the Pharisees. And he had hard words for them. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying we we at least have room at the table to have these hard words, you know, that we actually are able to have these discussions without just now today with social media, we're just able to ostracize people right away and then not have the conversation. So it's a different world we live in. Um, Anyway, so that's been my kind of, deal with that. Um, In an act of profound grace, traumatized by Saul, as welcomed... Oh, yeah, I already said that. Then, 
when he is better, talking about Paul, he demonstrates the reality of his transformation by committing himself to a very different mission. He changes his name to Paul, and he dedicates himself to the formation of a new type of community, one that questions the final legitimacy of religious identity and confessional tradition. He dedicates himself to a community of neither nor. This is Pete Rollins speaking. Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. I don't know where that is in the Bible. Just kidding. It's Galatians. By breaking down these tribal identities, he drains scapegoating of its power. Pretty cool, right? You know, he's coming in and saying, all right, I was scapegoating. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to come in and I'm going to drain scapegoating of its power. This is not to say that Paul wasn't a man of his time. Um, with views that reflect those of his day, but his lasting insight was one of new type of community that would cut against various tribal identities and operation at the time. A vision that has much power the significance for us, which very much power has very much power and significant for us now as it did then. It is disturbing, disruptive, destabilizing idea of neither or nor that has been domesticated and effectively silenced in the church, arising only on the edges of religious tradition by the mystics. Paul's conversion offers us a glimpse of what it might mean to form a community and a practice where the scapegoat is smashed and where we exercise the demons and power of exclusionary systems, a community where we learn what it is to might look like to embrace equality, solidarity, and universal emancipation. And I love that word universal emancipation. How interesting is that? And how hard is that to think about? You know, um, recently I, I, I said, you know, if we really want to practice inclusion, we'll also have to practice forgiveness. And some people came in and said some things to me about it and basically want to, wanted an asterisk of, you know, well, as long as they come in and ask for repentance, because we always want that financial exchange of some sort, you know. Well, you can get this if you give me that. You know, it's always that, like, I remember every eye bowed, or every head bowed, every eye closed, you know, while your salvation prayer, you know. And then as soon as the prayer's over, they're like, now come up in front of us and stand here. And you're like, wait a second, I just put my hand up with nobody looking, and now you want me to come up? You know, it was like this weird trade of like, it was like, you know, oh, gotcha, now you have to come up because if you're ashamed of God, God will be ashamed of you. I was like... Well, I just was told this is free, and now I'm told that if I don't stand up, it doesn't work. You know, this weird irony to that growing up in the Assemblies of God, uh, basically. That was their big thing. I don't know how many of you grew up with that sinner's prayer, but with that, you got to stay in something. But this is universal emancipation, or actually, if you think about it, grace is, it's a, 
it's a double-edged sword because it's usually for people you don't want it to be. Grace covers a multitude of sins, but you know, it's but it's also for us. So we have to learn to accept it for ourselves, which is really tough. But then we have to kind of learn to try to give it to others, which is really tough. It's it's it, that's where the you know the real work happens. Uh, Mr. Rollins goes on to say, this new community ensavaged by Paul is not some alternative to what already exists, but rather it is a vision that can be adopted by already existing communities. And I think that's what revolution's always been trying to do, is adopt that into our already existing community, because we came out of that Assemblies of God church. We were a bunch of Assemblies of God kids, and there was three or four of us who started revolution together, in an old bar, and we were punk rockers and hippies and skateboarders, and we just said, oh, we feel like these kids are slipping through the cracks. We want to start something for them. Our theology wasn't much different. I would probably be horrified if I went back in in time. Um, But it was the beginning of something different, uh, a type of universal emancipation of, uh, of, of neither, neither nor. Um, but he's saying this this vision can be adopted by existing communities. If we were as simple as the idea of creating some new group, this would itself become a new tradition that would need to be challenged. The idea of the neither nor should be approached as a way of revolutionizing already existing communities. So this idea of neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor slave, um, Republican or Democrat, um, could radicalize the church. But unfortunately, the church has decided, you know, to put a lot of us in the church, at least, decided to put our identity in our politics and say, well, we're this and we're that, you know. Um, some of us have it. Some some of us have identify more with our politics than we do with our faith, which we've seen take place with a lot of people. You know, a lot of these social justice minded, uh, well, a lot of these churches that will send people overseas to help kids don't want to help kids who are right here in our own country, which is sad. The attempt to open the already existing community to what they exclude might well lead to new groups. That is, if attempt to reject, but is, is attempt is rejected, but it might also lead to transformation of what already is. While a new grouping grew out of Paul's mission, the Christian Church, the point of neither nor collective is not to create a new ideological cult but to break open an already existing ideological system. By taking this approach to Paul, we gain a picture of what it might look like, what it might be like to found a community that is not in submission to its political, cultural, or religious markers. Of course, new communities will arise out of old ones, and no community will ever be free of the bias and conflict unprejudiced. But the possibility 
is held for communities that are willing to able to challenge themselves, to face their internal conflict and strive to better enact liberation. Um, yes, I'll admit, all I'm doing is reading a book today. But you know what? That's what I do a lot of times is, is with this Bible is I just read it and comment on it. So that's what I'm doing here with Pete. And, man, I've read... I've just simply read um, Paul Tillich sermons before. Literally just read the whole sermon and not said anything about it. Because um, Tillich's that good. With Pete, I have to kind of explain it a little bit. <laughs> explain his poor theology. Um, Pete says in here, he has such a collective, as we have already mentioned, wrestles with the ideological system it is immersed in. The demand to wrestle with God as a trickster becomes the model for how we must wrestle with any order that justifies us and holds us holds everything in its place. Um, if you want to know more about the trickster, get this book, The Divine Magician, which I highly recommend. I'm almost finished with it. Um, pretty easy read for Rollins. So, you know... Some of his stuff is a little bit harder to grasp. Um, this one seems to be a little bit more to the point. No offense, Pete, who's not listening. Ideology is the justification of an actual state of affairs that police the boundaries between what is considered pure and impure, good and bad, inside and outside. At the time of Paul, the system they held Sway broadly defined people in terms of one's identity as a Jew or a Gentile, a male or a female, a slave or a free person. Each of these identities carried with them certain roles and responsibilities, with some being valued more highly than others. Now Paul's saying, I mean, it's pretty radical that Paul, 2,000 years ago, under his tradition and his culture, was saying these things. That's why I always go back to the book of Galatians because I think it's extremely inclusive and extremely radical and extremely important. And um, he's trying to tear these down. The system was taken to be divinely established. So to question it, now this is, listen to this. This is, this is great. This is great. I took a picture of just this and put it on my Instagram but he goes, listen to this. This is so good. The system was taken to be divinely established, and so to question it was not to simply debate the political and religious structure, but it was to rebel against the laws and nature of the will of God. He goes on to say, even people who didn't actually believe in God or natural law, the population acted as if it were true, either through fear or custom or self-preservation or profit. So, Saying even like non-believers acted like this stuff was true. But he's saying is that when Paul said this stuff, it seemed to be that he was rebelling against the law of God and the will of God. So Paul comes in with this inclusion, and that's why I would say is Paul builds on the work that Christ did. He doesn't just give testimony to Christ he often doesn't even really talk that much about Jesus, except for Jesus' death um, and resurrection. But 
it doesn't talk all about a lot of stuff about what Jesus did or anything like that. But Paul does is comes in and says, oh, even more people are included. We see a little bit of inclusion with Jesus talking to Samaritans and some Gentiles. But Paul says it and makes it clear, everyone. He goes even further and says, even slaves and free, you know, everyone. Pretty radical stuff. It's probably why it's called radical theology. <laughs> Ew. Um, and then I'm going to skip some stuff and jump over to this. Rollins says, what we are faced with in this conversation of Saul is the possibility of a community dedicated to the, to the undermining of a system that would seek to ensure inequality. When people write of community where there is no Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, he is describing a collective where the identities are drained of their oppressive power and where everyone has equal access to the universal. This is not a new system, but rather a way of living out a system that one already inhibits. Paul introduces a truly shattering alternative to the system of his day, in which everything was ordered in strict hierarchy. He directly connects the new approach with Christ crucified, for crucifixion describes one who has been stripped of all identity. To be crucified means to be robbed of one's political and religious status. Pretty amazing stuff, right? You know. And this is coming from someone who, you know, is not an American by birth, who was raised in Belfast, Northern Ireland, you know. So he's talking about this in a much broader spectrum than we can even understand. It it was so funny early on when I first met Pete, people would attack him. And I, you know, but they would attack him from such a, an American understanding of who he was, not realizing, like, well, you know, this guy doesn't kind of completely understand all that. I mean, he's talking broader. He's talking, he's not just talking nationally. He's talking internationally. He's talking from a different perspective. He's talking from a place that was a war-torn country until probably the 90s. You know, that was going through civil war. You know, he's, he knows, you know, blowing each other up and, In the Troubles. If you don't know about the Troubles, Google the Troubles, Northern Ireland, and, and see what see what that was about, because it's quite an insane way to grow up. Thus, to identify with someone on the cross was to identify with someone robbed of identity. So if we want to identify with Christ, and you know, it's so funny is because you hear the words like identity politics that get played on both sides. To be crucified with Christ thus speaks of breaking of a strict identity markers. This does not mean that people in no way longer have identities, but they now hold them in such a way that they no longer define the scope and limitations of their lives. A new conflict arises, not between different groups, but between those who are open to change and those who hold stubbornly to their tribal identities. Pretty weird, right? 
what's your tribal identity that we stubbornly hold on to? The radical church finds itself in a world and yet no longer of it. It remains part of a wider society with all of its hierarchies, and yet it fundamentally questions these hierarchies. And I'm going to skip a whole other page. Thus, the radical collective is found in those who identify as the outsiders, as those who are nothing and nobodies. This is the meaning of Christ's descent into hell. I'm surprised he's so biblical in this. Um, In the idea of the trash of the world, we see that the ideas of the villains of all nations, the pirates that we looked at previously, which is in the book, expand and take on a cosmic significance. The rejected become the synonymous with the sacred. Many religious communities are either offensive in all the wrong ways because of their reaction stands on sexuality, race, and politics, or profoundly inoffensive and animatic offering a feel-good, self-help, prosperity preaching. But Paul opens up the idea of a place that is offensive in all the right ways, saying that those who congratulate themselves for being inside are actually outside, and those who are on the outside are actually on the inside. The radical community is thus the place that displays us, the place that challenges us to be in the world but not of it, to embrace the oppressed and be transformed by them. When I was working with Soul Force, I saw so many people who were working for LGBTQ rights, and some of them were transformed not because they went and studied every jot and tittle of the Bible, but because they knew somebody. They had a kid. And instead of saying, I'm going to kick you out of the house, they go, oh, this affects me. Oh, this person is actually a human being. You know? They came to that realization. Now, not everybody's that way. Some people kick their kids out and do horrible things. And, 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 um, but they, they, you know, they came to this realization because they spent time with someone, because they spent time with the outsider. The outsider changed them, you know. And some people are harder to change than others. I mean, you know, we've seen footage of people in cages. We haven't seen really a lot of footage of the kids, We've seen footage of the adults. Um, But those are the type of things that should break our heart and change us and cause us to say, we can put politics aside and be one. But this idea of an inclusive community is something that I really love. Last week we had... Uh, a friend of ours come and speak who she's an atheist and she talked about her life as an atheist and 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 what she's her life is about 
Um, my kids were going crazy, so I can't tell you exactly what she said because I haven't been able to listen to the talk yet. Um, but it's up now, so I will. Um, but this idea of 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 the neither ors, you know, the, the those who don't don't fit in, are the ones that you know change us radically. Change us. What is it called? What did he say it was called? Yeah, the neither nor. I mean, that's always the community that I've hoped revolution would be, and I feel like Pete maybe has said a few times that he feels that that's what kind of community we are. Um, But I also wouldn't mind having, you know, a reasonable conservative come and speak to us too. You know? Yeah, I mean, if we're going to be a really inclusive community, that's being inclusive. Um, the thing is, a lot of us ground. Oh, we want safe space. We want a safe space. But if a safe space is just you're surrounded by everybody who's just like you, eventually that space becomes dangerous because you create the us and them vibe. I mean, what do you think churches are on Sundays for a lot of people? Safe places where everybody thinks like they think and they aren't really challenged and the pastor believes on their behalf and they all vote that way and the pastor's not going to say anything too offensive because he doesn't want them to go away so he's going to try to play it safe. huh? So we see it acted out. You know, I remember one time when I was told that the, the you know, and I've said this before, is that the atheists were going to start churches and have their own communities and stuff. And I was like, no, don't do it. Learn from our mistakes. Look at what a mess we've made. <laughs> don't isolate yourself. You'll end up killing each other, you know. <laughs> and uh, look at how many denominations exist, <laughs> you know. All trying to come together under the name of Christ, but... Yeah, <laughs> and separate ourselves, and separate ourselves, and separate ourselves. It's like, yeah, it's like watching, yeah, it's funny. It's like watching a science experiment or something. We're like gremlins. We keep reproducing, but we don't like each other. Anyway, um, I think this is a, a good way to just radically, I did an interview with a paper in uh Recently, and they wanted me to, you know, talk about the difference between progressives and and conservatives, and they want to talk about my dad. And you know, right off the bat, I just said I'm not going to throw my dad underneath the bus. You know, that's been done a ton of times. And I said, and I also don't think I'm probably what the type of progressive you're thinking about. You know, and I also probably not the type of Christian you're thinking about. You know, I said I just. I feel like there's a lot of scapegoating going on right now in in, in our faith. And uh, I said, I really want to see that end. You know, we just we keep thinking if we have another to blame, that'll make things better. But then a lot of times that takes away your own personal responsibilities to be, you know, inclusive and loving and caring. 
Well, I don't have to be exclusive to this group because they're this or that or that, you know. And so I hope that we can learn from people like Peter Rollins and people like the Apostle Paul and people like Martin Luther King and people like that and learn to truly be uh, a people of neither nor, you know, not them or us, but just all of us. And uh, create a space where we can have tough discussions, you know, and, and hard conversations and plead about our brothers and sisters who are suffering, you know, and say, look, you're causing suffering. And that's one of the things I really continue to go back to Soul Force is I liked about Soul Force is that we did everything we could to sit down at a table together before we protested. You know, the protest was the second part. That was the part of if you won't meet with us, then we'll come up and we'll protest. And it was just using the same methods as King did and Gandhi did. And um, we'll have a nonviolent protest, you know, bringing, you know, trying to hold you accountable. But we're saying we won't do this protest if you'll sit down with us and have a conversation. If we can sit at the table. And so a lot of those places we were able to sit at a table and have really tough conversations. And was the change right away? No. But one of those megachurches stopped working with Exodus International. And when they stopped working with them, Exodus International came out and said, well, you know, we blame Soul Force for going to that church and meeting with them and, and causing us, them to sever you know, our relationship. And that was a blame I was happy to be a part of. So, you know, just something to think on, something to chew on. So thanks a lot for listening today, folks. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, Revolution Church. And if you'd like to make a, you know, donation or anything, go to revolutionchurch.com. And uh, or go to the Facebook. We have a donation button there somewhere. We've been told it's hard to find, but we're trying to make it easier to find. And uh, we're doing a lot of new stuff. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, have a good week. Thank you. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. That was a post-Christian podcast.